Well, let's jump into our message for today. We're calling this Gift Exchange. And if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew. It's going to be the very first book in your New Testament. Um, or you can open up on your app. I encourage you to do that. If you want, also, if you go to westernhills.church, we have the scripture resources for these messages there. And you can go there, and it'll already have the scriptures um, ready to go for you. Just click on that link that says scripture resources at westernhills.church. While you're finding that, I want to talk about this idea of a gift exchange. I, I'm convinced that my mom, and I don't want to brag on my mom, but, but I just need to let you know, before there were cell phones, somehow mom had a direct line to Santa Claus. Okay, Now, I, I know this because about every September, there was a mantra that she started using in our house when I was growing up. And she would tell me, you better be good. Or I'm going to tell Santa and he's not going to bring you any presents. Now, I don't know how she acquired this direct line, and I don't know how it all worked. But when growing up, I got the idea that I had to behave in a certain way to get Christmas, right? Now, was this just me? Um, Because there was even songs about this. You better be good for goodness sake, you know, because Santa's watching you. He sees when you're sleeping. He sees when you're awake. It's creepy in 2021, I know, but that's what we grew up with. And so there was this idea that ran real deep. If I want to get something, I have to give something. It's very simple. If I want to get Christmas, if I want to get presents, I have to give something, and it's my goodness I had to behave. And I want to suggest, well, I'm going to do more than suggest. I want to acknowledge that there are many of us that bring that idea right into our faith. As we approach Christmas, we have a faith that tells us something like this. If I want to get Jesus, i got to give my goodness. If, if I want to get the blessings that God has to offer, I've got to behave a certain way. If, if I want to get salvation, i got to be good for goodness' sake. If I want to see heaven, i got to be nice. And we think there's an exchange that goes on. Because Christmas is the time we exchange gifts. And we're all ingrained, I believe, in such a way where I've got to give something if I'm going to get something. It's kind of like showing up at maybe your school or your office Christmas party, however that works. And the obligation is you've got to bring something to participate in the gift swap, however that works. And so many of us still live with it. Now, we may not acknowledge it out loud. You may never have thought about this term, but we live that way. We live with this idea, if I'm going to get whatever Jesus is offering, I've got to give something first, and God somehow meets me halfway. And I bring my part, and he brings his part, and there we have a transaction because we've both done our part. And I'm going to tell you that the Christmas story is not that. 
That is not the gospel message. So I want to talk about the gift exchange as we go into this Christmas season. And there is something that you give up. But I don't think it's what you think it is. Or maybe this is a new way for you to look at it and understand as we go into Christmas why we would celebrate this so much. Because if Jesus just comes to be our example, then that means that if I'm going to receive that, I've just got to live up to the example. And so I hope that maybe this is something that you have or have not wrestled with yet. That this is an idea that as we come to receive the gift that Jesus has for us at this time and not just this season of the year, but all year long, how do we receive this? And what do we give up in exchange to receive the true gift that he has for us? You've heard the scripture readings already. I want to go back into one of them. One that Sandy and Justin read earlier. And this is found in Matthew And you've heard me say before that Matthew is one of the places where we don't get much of our Christmas story from because Matthew's a really dark one. All the shepherds and the angels and the fluffy uh, fluffy animals and the end, all that comes from Luke. Matthew has a lot more tension in it. It's got a lot more drama. This is one of those things that when families get together, you know how there's drama? Matthew has all that drama for us. And so, once again, I'm going to read this. We're going to go through Matthew, verse, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. It's all we're going to be covering today. But I want you to hear this with fresh ears. Because I want you to see the story that's really taking place. And for a moment, if you can, set aside the sweet nativity scenes and the Charlie Brown Christmas and all the other kind, sweet, wonderful things that I love about Christmas, but that's not this story, okay? This story has an edge to it. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, do you see all the tension in that? Here is Joseph, and we know Joseph is a righteous man. And this righteous man has a plan. He's got a dream. His future with his family is out in front of him, and he and Mary are to be married. 
And just for a moment, try to put yourself in the place of him receiving this news when Mary says, Joseph, we need to talk. And she says, I'm pregnant. And Joseph knows it's not his child. That's an act of betrayal. Some of you have experienced that. And here's Joseph, and his world gets turned upside down because up to that moment, Mary was his love, this sweet dream of a girl that that he was going to spend his life with. He was going to build a family with her. Joseph was some kind of carpenter or stonemason, depending on how you translate the word, but whatever it was, he was a craftsman. He was, he was a contractor, and he could go out and have his own business, have his own means of income, and so he's got a plan going forward. He's, he's in charge of this, and now Mary comes to them, and they have this talk that is just loaded with tension and emotion, and she is throwing that future plan to the side. The first Christmas does not begin with joy. It it doesn't begin with glad tidings. It begins with family tension. You think your holidays are hard. This This is real stuff. Joseph is probably going through a thousand calculations all in a split second trying to figure out how how do I face her parents? How do I face mine if his were still living? How do I walk back into the marketplace? How do I go into synagogue or church for them with this? And so because he's righteous... He makes a plan. And he plans not to divorce her with disgrace because he could. And nobody, nobody would blame him. He he could bring some serious legal action against her. This kind of thing was not tolerated. And yet because of his mercy and his kindness and his righteousness, he makes a plan to exit this relationship but quietly without divorcing her. So there is an act of mercy here, even in the act of the divorce. And an angel comes to him, and an angel challenges him in a dream. And what the angel says in that moment changes Joseph. And I believe what the angel says in that moment changes us. And I want to show you that because there's where the gift exchange takes place, the one that we're going to look at this week. When Jesus comes into the world, there's an exchange. And he's receiving information about the coming of Jesus into the world, and there is an exchange that takes place. And by the time the angel is through describing this to him, Joseph is ready to accept Jesus as his son, basically become his adoptive father, remain in the relationship, because the angel has reoriented what Joseph thought. And remember, Joseph walks into this as a guy that I fully believe is in control. He's got his own business. He's got his own plan. 
He's got a family. He's ready to start building. He's ready to start going forward. And he sees the plan for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And some of you are that same way. You have a plan or you had a plan in front of you and something came along and disrupted it. And the thing that we hate the worst is to be out of control. Some of you would be acknowledged control freaks, right? I'd say raise your hand, but you don't like that because I'd be in control. You're going to rebel. I'm not raising my hand. He can't make me. Make me, preacher. But we have this desire to be in control and have our hands on the steering wheel of our life, right? And and that's so common to most. I, I know. And here's Joseph. He's got a plan. And he's actually becoming, he's really ready for his plan to include a family. And we know as we, if you go into the life of having a family, suddenly a child in that really disrupts it. Even if it's a planned child, even if it's a child that you intended, hey, this is the right time, this is the right moment, we're trying to put together a plan. You know that a child becomes incredibly disruptive to all you soon-to-be fathers. Once you have the child, Christmas is over for you, okay? I'm just going to tell you now. I don't care what it was before. Now, your transportation, understand? Okay, there's your role. You haul all these presents that this small human being doesn't even know exist around for them now. But it changes the plan. One of my favorite songs is, comes from a man named Andrew Peterson, and it's called Family Man. There's this great line in the song that says, I traded my Mustang in for a, fa- for a van because I'm a family man. He talks about how his plans changed. Well, here's Joseph, who's now receiving the message that even though he was willing to accept his first change of plans, his second change of plans now has gone out the window because of what Mary's telling him. And he's got to receive the gift exchange. And so I'm going to go ahead and give you at the front here, here's the gift exchange that Joseph's offered. What you give up is control. What you gain is is confidence. Not in you, but in what God is doing. That is the first gift exchange of Christmas that we're going to focus on. And I want to unpack that as we go because we've got to understand that so many of us, we approach our faith and our spirituality and our discipleship of Jesus with, is God, I'm glad you're a part of it, but I'm going to keep my hands on the wheel. I'm going to stay in control of it. I'm going to drive where I want to drive. Now, you can suggest a route. You can make options for me. But ultimately, I will do the driving. I will do the controlling. And what Joseph is about to find out and what we're going to find out is that we've got to give up control if we're going to gain the confidence that comes from the Lord. So here's what the angel tells him. I'm going to share three things with you. And I think it's buried right in what the angel talks about. So uh, let's go to verse, uh, verse 20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Joseph, son of David. What's he doing in that moment? Joseph was in the line of King David from the Old Testament. This is a proud line. 
And the first thing the angel does when he shows up in this dream, he refers to him not just as Joseph, not just by his name, but by his identity. Here's who you are, Joseph, son of David. He reminds us and he reminds you of your identity. What is your true identity? Now, there is a lot of talk about identity in our world today. We're going to get back into a lot of identity discussion when we get back in 1 Corinthians. The problem that I see in the world, according to Scripture, is that we're seeking our identity in so many wrong places. And the angel shows up as Joseph is losing control. And he's going to build confidence in him and says, now you've got to give up the control if you're going to have this kind of confidence. And his first thing is remind him who he is and his true identity is found in the story of God and so is yours. Your identity does not come from a political party. It does not come from your last name. It does not come from any kind of lifestyle preferences that you have. It comes from the truth that you are a child of God. There is the source of identity. And so as you face the reality in your life, and sometimes it's because the control has been taken away from you by somebody else. You've walked through an experience like Joseph. Somebody close to you has betrayed you. Somebody close to you, because of their decisions and their choices, they've wrecked your world. Your future is all up for grabs now. All that you thought you could trust has been taken away. Your identity was never in your future. Your identity was always found in who God made you to be, a child of God. So just like he reminds Joseph, he reminds us, you are a child of God. Second thing he says is this. Because of what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how Joseph received this news. But in one day, he, received, he gets a message from Mary that she's pregnant and it's not his. And then he has this dream. And in the dream, he finds out this is the work of the Holy Spirit. She hasn't cheated on you, Joseph. God's at work. And so in that moment, Joseph is reminded, and we're reminded, that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. So perhaps today you are facing an uncertain season because you've lost control. I want to encourage you. I, take that back. I don't want to encourage you. I want Scripture to encourage you. I want God's words to encourage you. That the Holy Spirit is at work, and though you seem to have lost control, have confidence that God has not lost you, has not given up on you yet. This is the gift exchange that comes with Christmas. There is a supernatural power that is at work in the life of the believer. And even though Joseph was already a righteous man, it wasn't his righteousness that God said, I want you to count on that. It was the fact that the Holy Spirit was present. He said, now you can have confidence in this. Joseph, do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit is at work.
whatever you face, whatever seems so uncertain, the places where you want to knuckle down and have the control, do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit is at work. And the last thing he says is this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. We're very familiar with the name Jesus. Jesus is a derivative of what we would be called Joshua. There's a character in the Old Testament named Joshua, and he leads God's people into the promised land. And that's what Jesus is doing. So just as Joshua of the Old Testament saved the people of God, Jesus comes bearing that name. It means God saves. That's why he has that name, God saves. And, he's, and the idea is that he has shown up and he will save us. He will rescue the people from their sins. Now, what's the angel doing? The angel is casting a new future for Joseph. His plans have kind of gone up in smoke all of a sudden. He's lost control. How does he gain confidence again? God shows him the end of the story. Not the story he thought he was a part of, but a bigger, better, more powerful story that he's a part of. And that's what God shows us. Is that whatever moment you're in now, and you feel like it's all slipped through your fingers, I want to remind you, encourage you on how it all turns out. Uh, that God says, Jesus has come to do the work. Jesus has come to be the one that does all the actions, that does all the necessary effort. He tells us how it's going to come. He will save his people from their sin. And, and especially at this Christmas it seems like this is a message in our world today that we need to hear with great clarity. Because I don't know about you, but there seems to be a lot of angst out in the world right now. And whether it has to do with a pandemic, whether it has to do with the economy, whether it has to do with justice and racial division that we have, it just seems like everywhere you turn, it's all angst and anxiety. And what I want, to, want you to understand is that even in the midst of though it looks like we're so out of control, we know how it ends. I've jumped to the end of the book. I've read it. Spoiler alert. It ends with Jesus on the throne. It ends with the redemption of the world. It ends with all things that are now wrong made right again. That's how it ends. As followers of Jesus, we live with a confidence not because we have control of the world. Isn't that what we're trying to fight for right now? So much of our political debates and so much of our debates that I hear going on inside churches and between Christians is because we've got to figure out how to get some of the power that we feel like we've lost back, Right? If we could just get the right people in office and the right voting and all the right laws and we could get all these right things. And I'm for all of that, but our confidence cannot be in that. Our confidence cannot be found in what I can bring to the table. But in what God is doing 
and what Jesus is doing to save and redeem the entire world. For God so loved the whole world that he sent his son. Didn't send a politician. Didn't send an army. But he sent his son. That's how it turns out. I I love the story. It's told by the author and preacher Max Lucado. And he talks about growing up in West Texas and somewhere about the fourth grade, he was involved in a combined school production of Wizard of Oz. And as a fourth grader, I think it was fourth grade, they got to play the role of the Munchkins. Typecast, I know. And the way that this play had come together was the fact that it was really the drama department of the high school that was putting on the main part of the play, but they recruited the the elementary kids to be in the play. And I guess that's also a way to get more parents to come out to see the play, you know, put their kids into it. And so he's a munchkin. Well, for most of all the rehearsals, the munchkins practiced their part, their one little part, their one little scene, whatever, off to the side. And they never showed up at the high school rehearsals until the big dress rehearsal. Well, Max Lucado reflects that he didn't know the story. He hadn't seen the movie. He didn't know the story. Nobody had read it to him. And so suddenly, for the very first time, they're there and he's doing his little munchkin part. And the Wicked Witch of the West, the high school student that was playing her, shows up and she's cackling and she's mean looking and she's got long bony fingers and she's pointing and she's doing her part brilliantly and it scared him. Because suddenly he's like, what am I a part of? What's going on? Who's this? Every other practice had been fine. Now suddenly there's this intimidating persona there. Max says, If only I had known the end of the story and that she melts with a bucket of water. Please don't hear me make light of whatever you're walking through right now. But do hear me say that now does not determine your end. God does. And Joseph hears that message, and though he knows he has to give up control, he gains the confidence to be part of a bigger, better story. And God is asking him to take a major risk and step into that story and be the earthly father of Jesus with all the whispers and the side looks and the doubts that are going to come with that. But he steps into that story. Jesus comes into the world and Jesus lays down his life. He gives up control for the confidence in the Heavenly Father that has his hands on the steering wheel and knows and is writing the end of the story. That's the Christmas gift exchange. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for a man like Joseph whose story is not just perfectly neat and clean because in many ways it reflects so many of our stories where there's drama and there's betrayal 
and there's frustration, and there's dreams, and there's hopes that were not fulfilled. And Father, so many of us are living off of plan B. Not where we thought we'd be, but Father, you're calling. And Jesus is coming into the world, and so Father, may we do the exchange. May we give up control for the confidence that comes from you. So, Father, I pray for anyone here right now, anyone that's listening online that is experiencing a season, maybe a long season, of feeling out of control, of feeling a sense of brokenness, abandonment, betrayal, frustration, disappointment, in whatever form, whatever label can be applied to it, Father, that you would speak into that. Remind us of our identity in you. Remind us of the Holy Spirit at work. Remind us of the end of the story. I ask all this in the name of the one that we celebrate this season. The one that stepped in. And because of that, we can have the confidence. It's the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.